Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block hosted today by Ed, Ed, Mike, and myself, Steve. Welcome. Hello, hey, everybody. Happy summer. Oh, happy summer. Well, you know, I don't want to uh, jinx, but it's barely hit 80 the entire June because of global warming. I guess normal years would climate be change. Steve, it's climate, climate change. change. It's the climate crisis. Okay. Well, it's not a crisis for me. I haven't put my air conditioning in a window yet. <laughs> so I must say I'm very happy about that. Um, lots and lots going on in the world. I was going to use Ed P for our foreign correspondent and Ed M for our legal correspondent and Mike just for general supervisor. Uh, <laughs> Ed M, the Supreme Court case on this uh, state legislature is having power. They got they, it wrong. That doctrine. Yeah. I think they got it wrong. What are they yeah. calling that yep. doctrine again? The independent state legislature theory that that the state legislatures are vested with power that the that the courts do not get to oversee. Right. So I was looking at it more as the theory that what the Constitution says it means. Yeah, that was my uh, that was my thought. You know, just because I can read, but apparently I am reading it wrong. Go ahead, Adam. Tell us all your legal law. I mean, basically, this is just a rehash of Marbury versus Madison and whether courts get to have judicial review. And the majority opinion comes out in favor of judicial review. Roberts pointedly says that uh, that leg state legislatures, of course, have to abide by the same documents that created them, which are the constitutions. But the federal constitution did not create a state government. The state governments created the federal constitution. And there's no way that the state governments would have ever allowed, ratified the constitution had they believed that they, they that the legislatures were not supreme under that system. I mean, it's, it's very straightforward mm -hmm. to me. Um, I just think they got it wrong. And, you know, and Clarence, Thomas, Clarence Thomas had an interesting dissent saying, because of the judicial elections last year in, in North Carolina, which changed the composition of the Supreme Court in the state. Right. And where because the the Republican legislature sought rehearing and it was granted and they reversed, the, the case was moot. And mm -hmm. that was an interesting argument. I mean, yep, they could have brought it, but the but the Roberts wing of the court was just determined to strike down this independent state legislature theory. And, and of course it was moot uh, uh, because uh, the courts are now, the state Supreme courts are now super legislatures, which they've never intended to be. You know, you elect a new one and they do something different. They pass a new law as if they're a legislature. Mm -hmm. And that was no, never Thomas's, Thomas's argument was regardless of the decision of the U S Supreme court, there's, it wouldn't impact the case at all. The case was already decided at the state court level on right. a different ground. So this federal ground is no longer relevant. Well, one wonders whether it was decided. I mean, maybe it was decided for this year, but maybe next year it will be decided the other way. So I, that, I, I, that I would understand. be a new case. You. you can't decide this case based on a hypothetical future case. Well, I mean, I there were a couple of thoughts popped into my head is be careful what you're happy about. Uh, you know, I saw Obama applauding it, all these leftists applauding it, the same people that tell us that 
they're they love de democracy, but they're they they sit there and cheer when a court basically undermines democracy. Right. I mean, people of North Carolina elected judges. They put them on the court. They made a new ruling and it was totally disregarded. Um, no, no. So well, but but then they elected new judges and there's a new. That's ruling. what I said. That's what I said. Yeah, they they elected new judges and they had a second ruling that was the reverse of the first one. And it was dis disregarded. It wasn't considered at all. But in my view right now, the North Carolina legislature should stand up and nullify what the court's opinion. That's what they should well, do. They don't they need they to. Should... That was Thomas's whole point is they don't need to, because even with this decision, it doesn't change the the lines that are drawn in North Carolina. OK. But it, it sounded like he, he was saying that this is going to lead to more Bush v. Gore court cases coming their way. That's what he said. Yeah. I'm not sure that I agree with so, that. I mean, I mean, that that could easily. My, I think my other point was that could easily backfire on them, right? They're all happy about this because it was North Carolina. Well, you know what, New Jersey, I can tell you, has fundamentally violated their own rules about uh, districting in this state. Okay, I mean, I believe, for example, they're not this, supposed to split up a county more than just twice, and they have counties that are in three different districts. Um, you know, that could be congressional. It could be on the state le legislature, too. But New Jersey is known for this, like completely violating their own laws. So, OK, here we go. You've opened up the can of worms and there could be a lot of uh, a lot of challenges from people on the right about what's going on in these blue states. Um, I want to read into the record some of this article from Reason.com, um, just because it's the article I have in front of me. and. One day, I hope the whole world learns how to read and realize how incredibly biased all of the press is. So um, what does it say here? When state legislatures prescribe the rules concerning federal elections, they remain subject to the ordinary exercise of state judicial review, Chief Justice Roberts wrote. That might seem like constitutional common sense. After all, anyone with a passing understanding of constitutional law knows that Marbury v. Madison confirmed that courts have the power to the view, review the actions of the other branches of government. I love that sentence because Marbury versus Madison isn't in the Constitution. Yes. The way like they I just said. sort of move that in there, if you know, which is what I've said, and I did not go to law school, that you could probably go to law school and never read the Constitution, and constitutional law has nothing to do with Constitution. Then it goes on. Um, but the crux of the Moore case rested on a novel theory bouncing around conservative legal circles, the independent state legislature theory. That theory has its basis in Article 1, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution, which explicitly grants state legislatures control. <laughs> so which is it? Does it have this like little tiny basis or does it say what it says? So it goes on, therefore, the argument goes, there are no constitutional or legal constraints on state legislatures when setting the rules for election. And then the, the, one of the kickers is Roberts. The importance of judicial review is one of the fundamental principles of Americans, America's constitutional system. Now again, well, let's read. Uh, let's read Article One, Section Four, because it's really short. I mean, it's just unbelievable here. Like how 
And very few people would even know what we're saying now that no, Bar Barbary v. Madison was the novel theory. Yeah. The times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. Um, but the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations, except as those as to the places of choosing senators. So, I mean, you know, it's it, it mentions the power of the state uh, legislature and it mentions the power of Congress um, by law, meaning, you know, with the president's approval um, to make or alter such regulations. And um, that seems to me to be quite clear. Now, I've been helping a, a friend research uh, a legal issue lately. And um, of course, the point is you just can't read the law because the law is very clear generally, uh, but uh, the case law is uh, very confusing. And, and I know uh, you have a strong science background, much stronger than mine. Did you use ultraviolet light to see the ink in there that said specifically Subject to judicial review? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, you know, Hamilton wrote in one of the Federalist papers that, uh, you know, he thought uh, judicial review as he understood it. And, and that was in specific cases or controversies, um, was, you know, sort of inherent in the Anglo American legal system. Um, but I think that that is if someone protests about a, a law, you know, uh, hurting them in particular, the judge can grant relief to them in particular for that particular case and controversy. I, I don't think, uh, you know, the, the, the Constitutional uh, Convention decided, uh, you know, debated over whether to have a judicial uh, veto over laws, and um, they decided not to have such a thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, and of course, Marbury versus Madison was a, a really weird uh, case. And it's not, you know, it's not obvious. Um, it, it really intricate and weird, like, you know, the last minute appointment of judges and, you know, when do the judges get appointed, you know, when, they, when they're appointed or when they, the appointments were delivered or you know, any of that stuff. Right. Um, none, none of that is, uh, none of that is, is, uh, requires a sweeping generalization that uh, the uh, courts do have this essentially um, veto power over laws. Uh, so you could have decided that particular case or controversy without, you know, essentially grabbing power. Um, well, no, I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't decide Marbury versus Madison without deciding whether the Judiciary Act of 1789 was constitutional or not, because that was the basis for the lawsuit. I don't think, I don't think that, ju that judicial review was the novel thing that came out of Marbury versus Madison. The novel thing that came out of Marbury versus Madison was not that the courts have a say or a uh, power to override to, to declare something unconstitutional, but that they had the final say and really the only say, and that the legislature can't overrule the court. That the that the that the court is supreme and. That to me is the novel part of it. And that's the part that um, I don't think is actually in the opinion. I think that over time, the legislature and the executive have surrendered power to the courts. I mean, we, we need an Andrew Jackson to, 
to, to come up and, and stand up and say the court has issued its ruling. Now let them enforce it. Mm-hmm. We need the other branches to be able to say, no, the court got it wrong and we're not going to follow it. Tom uh, Woods, the great libertarian uh, podcaster and, and historian, uh, has a book about uh, called Nullification about the sort of um, an alternative view of deciding whether a uh, law passed by Congress and signed by the president conforms to the Constitution. And he believed, and Madison uh, at that time agreed with them because they thought uh, the Federalists were uh, grossly overreaching with the Alien Sedition Act, that um, in fact, it was the states themselves that had uh, the ruling. And one of the good things about Tom's book is uh, half the book is contemporary uh, uh, writings, you know, writings from uh, the the whole 1790, you know, to 1800, 1805 period, uh, where, you know, people at the time were discussing the issue of, um, you know, who decides what laws are constitutional, what laws are not constitutional before, you know, before Marbury versus Madison. And, um, and there is a good, solid constitutional rationale by someone like you know, Jefferson, who wasn't there, but Madison, who was, that uh, it, because the, the states preexisted uh, and they did not give up their fundamental sovereignty to the federal government, um, that they get to decide if, for instance, the Sedition Act, which is what the, you know, uh, caused the arrest of, of newspaper editors and, and uh, uh, other pamphleteers who uh, criticized the Adam administration, uh, whether the state should, you know, the state government should stand in and protect their own citizens from the ravages of the federal government when the federal government is doing something so quite uh, quite obviously contrary to the uh, Constitution, which was ratified, you know, almost less than 10 years ago, the Bill of Rights. And, and, and you know, again, Tom is a libertarian historian, and so he gives the first half of the book is sort of its history of it. But the second half of the book was all these contemporary writings, uh, the primary sources, as it were. Um, and he makes a compelling case, but it it does seem like the courts have um, usurped this final authority, and I think they did so because the Congress didn't want it, you know, and the president didn't want it. They they wanted someone else to take the blame, someone who couldn't be fired, someone who couldn't you know has no accountability. People, I and mean, that's the basic idea. Right. And of course, everything got worse. The, the perfect example of that Ed, is wanted it. So, if you remember, I, I still remember when the, when George Bush forty three signed McCain-Feingold, and in his uh, signature ceremony or in the statement, he he said, "I firmly believe that parts of this bill are unconstitutional, but I'm going to sign it anyway because there are good things in it, and I'll let the courts strike it down." And yeah, I mean, that's, that's an exactly what you're talking about. Oh, is responsibility. You know, I mean, I, 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 every right. member of the Congress and the president and uh, the Supreme Court, for that matter, has taken an oath to preserve, protect and defend the Constitution yeah. as written. And that's a violation. of. Well, the Constitution oh. as written or the Constitution is explained by the courts over 250 years wiping out the Constitution. So, I mean, uh, th- that all may be so. But then obviously we have a very politicized Supreme Court. Um, I mean, John Roberts, man, the gift that keeps on taking. 
Uh, and to see Kavanaugh and, and Amy Coney Barrett, who's also becoming a bit of a disappointment going along with all this, it's like, you know, the idea that this is some sort of strict constructionist conservative court is just bull. We know that. I mean, we see this time after time. You know, we may get our way on two out of 10 cases, three out of 10 cases, but the other seven are fundamentally going against constitutional principles. Um, yeah, I mean, all three of Trump's appointees have been disappointing, including Gorsuch, who uh, reread the Civil Rights Act to, uh, you know, to um, uh, to talk yeah, about, is, quote unquote, gender yeah. and, and, and whatnot. I mean, they've, they've all been disappointments. But of course, I mean, considering how stupid, I, I mean, fundamentally low IQ, Sonia Sotomayor and Katanji uh, Brown Jackson, are how, how dumb and, and off-putting both of those points are. We have to remember that, um, you know, if Clinton was in there, she'd have given us uh, NPCs even worse. At least, at least Gorsuch occasionally, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But it is it is a disaster. Yeah. Am I correct that all of those nominations were done with a very strong endorsement of the Federalist Society? No, they were they were the Federalist Society, right? And that does not speak well for the Federalist Society as much as they're bashed for swinging the course to the right. I think that's pretty embarrassing failures oh. on their part. And if you if, oh. if the president can't it, trust them, then what? Is it well, a the weird thing, or is, are they just another one of those uh, clubs that you belong to? And uh, well, they're a club, the and popular right people of, get get elevated. Right of center, but I mean, my God, if you're going to elect a lawyer and a judge, or appoint a lawyer or a judge to uh, the Supreme Court, uh, it's going to be very difficult to appoint one who doesn't believe in judicial supremacy, right? I mean, that, that's Mark Levin's kind of, mm -hmm. you know, his his point. Um, uh, on the other hand, you could get an Earl Warren who just goes completely off the rails. Well, uh, Roberts is off the just... off the rails. I mean, what was the other recent case? It was about the immigration case. I mean, Roberts had a long history of saying the opposite of the way he ruled. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and and there is a you know, I mean, again, let's getting into too many conspiracy theories, but there is this uh, notion that the quote unquote deep state, um, you know, has information and thus power to convince judges uh, and politicians to alter their behavior to that which the deep state finds convenient. I mean, Chuck Schumer said as much on television um, during the Trump administration. And I would not put it past them to do that. I mean, let's be honest, the, you know, who leaked the uh, Dobbs decision, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it does not take Hercule Poirot to figure that out, <laughs> it's not, we do not need to call in Sherlock Holmes and and Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple and uh, Lord Peter Whimsey and all of the famous detectives to figure that out. That's like eight minutes worth of work to figure that out. But uh, but no, no, a year after, mm -hmm. two years after, no, you know, we still quote unquote a year after we still a year don't and a half. Know. right. It's like a year and a half. We still don't know. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, you know, that's how the, of, um, the deep state and stuff. I want to move to Israel again, because the parallels between Israel and here are literally just changed the names. But the 
among the big news going on in Israel this week is, I guess some people are familiar with what was going on with Netanyahu. They were indicting him or trying to indict him on four different cases, called cases 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, and 4,000. And Netanyahu all along has been saying in Hebrew, they won't find anything because there, is, there isn't anything. And this is going on for years now. And they tried to say he couldn't be prime minister because he was under indictment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So apparently the courts said to the prosecutors this week or a few days ago that, you know what, on your strongest case, you got nothing. There's no way in the world you're going to get a conviction. And that riled the entire country. And the parallels here are obvious. And then apparently the ex-chief of police made a statement to the effect of, we thought under all this pressure, he would resign. Dot, 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 leading one to believe we didn't care if he was convicted or not. We figured he'd just cave in. And again, the parallels are exactly the same as what they did to Trump. You make up a case, you get the press to, you know, blow it out of all proportions. And then it goes on for years and years and does all its damage, except for somehow Netanyahu survived this one. And of course, now everybody's up in arms saying everybody else is lying about everything else that they're not lying about. Doesn't matter. The point is, they were caught. And um, I think, you know, Ed M, you kind of say it sometimes, you know, in their face, like, don't even give them the time of day and don't get nervous from what they say, just hold out. I think that's part of your uh, philosophy. Yeah. There so, was an article today by uh, Shipwreck Crew on uh, Substack, you know, kind of going through the details of what we've learned from the whistleblowers, uh, the IRS whistleblowers who talked about, um, you know, how they were stymied at every, every turn by the Justice Department and the FBI from being a case against Hunter Biden. Now, personally, I don't give a damn about Hunter Biden because he's a loser. But it, it does seem clear that his father, who is now acting as the president of the United States, was in on the, um, the scam and the corruption, as well as uh, the you know, acting president's brother. And um, it, the whole, it was a whole sort of extortion ring, crime family. Mm -hmm that was surrounding it. And uh, it became obvious, well, of course it became obvious to us back when, when Trump pointed it out and it became, and his first impeachment was pointing out how corrupt uh, Biden was um, by referring to a video where Biden you know, was proud of his corruption. Um, but it, it is fairly intricate about how they were stymied. The IRS was stymied from from indicting Biden or from, you know, pushing the indictment, which has to come from the DOJ, uh, for obvious tax crimes. You know, he accepted money and he didn't pay taxes on it. That's usually, and it's a lot of money. I mean, if I did that, I would be, I would be, you know, fined and, and uh, you know, pay interest and, and whatnot. And, and if it was a lot of money and it was on multiple occasions and it was done deliberately, then, um, you know, they might actually bring criminal charges. And, uh, that was the case with uh, with Hunter. And so that he lays out, and there's a very good lawyer, the shipwreck crew. He's one of the lawyers. Well, there are two of the lawyers for the J6 defense. They go through, you know, all of the things we're learning from these two IRS whistleblowers about how they were interfered with by the Justice Department and the FBI in trying to investigate this case. Now, I don't like the tax code, and I certainly don't like the IRS. Um, and the last people on the list I would ever defend are the people who enforce the tax code. 
Um, the crimes go much further than just tax crimes, though. I mean, he wasn't registered as a foreign agent under the Foreign Agent Registration Act. He was essentially taking bribes, and, and it's on tape that he was uh, extorting mm -hmm. um, Chinese officials for uh, bribes with the big guy sitting right next to him. Of course, Biden uh, did um, not uh, that you know, denied that he, he was sitting next to Hunter today. Um, but this, this case, he, I he think- He told us all that he sold, he sold secrets. Yep. Yes, well, I mean, we all know that that, <laughs> that was, that was uh, good I, I guess the point is that I think the mainstream media is coming to, to take this a little bit seriously. They have no memory, of course, so they don't remember how, um, you know, Trump was, punished for first bringing this to attention, uh, to everybody's attention. Anyway, this article also goes into the CIA and how the CIA was part of the um, movement against Trump, which caused his impeachment because uh, they put out false statements at the time um, through their you know, ex-CIA surrogates that, uh, oh, there is nothing to this. And so it, it's the whole sort of deep state, the DOJ, the FBI, the CIA, all working in concert in this case to protect Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, Biden's brother, and the whole Biden crime syndicate. Maybe, you know, with Ukraine, I think we all know the reason is they hate Russia, but I mean, with, uh, with them having, you know, sold out the United States to China, who pretty much everybody I've talked to in the military industrial complex thinks is a, a, an adversary or a competitor of sort. I, I don't know why they're protecting him. I guess maybe because Trump is the antichrist, the devil, and uh, and a, a, a threat to our democracy. And so everybody has to sort of gang together to protect it against Trump. Uh, I, I don't really know why they're they're defending the influence peddling to China. So it, it was an upright article. First, I want to mention, um, getting back to Ed M's in your face, what could be more in your face than inviting him to a state dinner two days after pleading guilty? That is just unbelievable. We control you. But my impression from listening to lots and lots of podcasts, et cetera, is the tide has swung a little bit and more and more people are saying the press and the Democrats really want to dump Biden. And that's why more and more of this stuff is leaking out because, and I want to, you know, I don't know what you guys think, but the, it's much more credible that they're going to push him out before the election. So what do you guys think? Uh, that could happen at any time, right? Once once the powers that be behind the scenes decide with this guy, they're going to throw him overboard. So it seems to be well, the, the, I mean, the other side, though. Why, why would they want to throw him overboard, given that he's the most controllable person they could have? Right. That is the other side that people are mentioning. But because they're afraid to lose, I assume would be the only reason. I mean, I otherwise, they'll put I'm sure they, the could, they could probably control a lot of a lot of their own people if they want to. The question is whether they think he he can he can win or if he's going to lose. Right. I mean, he's definitely they, the most they care. Valuable. First of all, do they care if they're going to lose next time around or not? Right. I think they do. No, I would, oh, I would assume if, if they don't want to lose, if it ends up being DeSantis and they're really more afraid of DeSantis. You know, then then you might see him get thrown overboard. But there's, there's got to be a reason why more stuff leaks out than did at one point. You know what I'm saying? So I think Biden's uh, 
you know, complete lack of ability to talk and um, it is really embarrassing to the Democrats. And of course, Kamala is even worse. So I do think That's they're preparing. I, I do think they're preparing to push Gavin Newsom as a sort of replacement for Biden in this election. If Klein, which, you know, has been fairly rapid over the last two years, to be honest, just from an outside observer, um, you know, uh, accelerates or even maintains its constancy over the next year, you know, towards the convention. Um, Kennedy has put himself in a good position as the as sort of alternate, alternative, alternative. Um, and the Democratic Party is not really a democracy anyway. The people have no real voice. But on the other hand, it's not it's not impossible for Kennedy to win. Um, but yeah, I think the Democratic Party is sort of preparing to abandon Biden if he gets demonstrably worse. There was a photo today of, of, of you know, um, sort of dents in his uh, cheeks uh, this morning, which mm -hmm. is probably, you know, a CPAP machine or oxygen or something like that that he wears at night. Nothing wrong with that. Lots of people wear a CPAP, but nobody's ever heard of this before that he, you know, wears a CPAP machine night um it's it's not ever been disclosed it's, it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of half the male population has acne but um you know people are beginning to notice that uh mm -hmm. people are beginning to notice that joe is not all there i'm more concerned that he's going to forget his depends one day and really he already on. did his depends he already did <laughs> uh I'm not so sure that they're ready to dump him. I mean, maybe. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised for all the reasons that you guys are mentioning. Mm -hmm. I, I don't. I don't. I, I don't think that's a high priority for them. I, I don't think they particularly have a have a particularly strong candidate in the wings. Well, Newsom. He's not strong, Michelle. I don't. If no, they no, had no, a good no, alternative, no. I think it would make it would. There would be a lot more talk about it, but why don't you think Newsom? Because he's the one that but, yeah. But he, here's the thing: I mean, he he could go through the whole process, win the nomination, and then they could they if they want to they say, well, there's that. Well, assuming assuming he's still in the zombie state, they they, they could just say, okay, you, you need to step aside. Yeah, health reasons. You gotta. I gotta step aside. I don't think I can really do it. And they can just pick whoever they want. Especially if they see he's in trouble at that point. So that and could come. That could come. I mean, that could come next spring. It could come once, once they have a nominee. From, it could can come they a year from now. I mean, are they going to do a Torricelli kind of thing? <laughs> they could do it. They're Democrats. They can do anything. I mean, is there anything that says they can't? Because it's just the party's nominee, right? There's nothing legal. I mean, really, like what happens? What happens if he wins the nomination again a year from now? It, it's like it's literally a year from now. We haven't gotten to the convention yet. And all of a sudden they start saying, oh, my, I'm sorry, I got all these health problems and, I, you know, I don't think I could do it. And it, what is not the convention in Chicago? I, I'm not really I sure. I think that the Democratic conventions in Chicago, which would be quite fun after what happened in 1968. But listen, you can't put anything past them. If they don't want him, he's going to be gone. One way or the other, he's going to be gone for whatever reason. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, as I said before, just because it's an oligarchy doesn't mean they're unified. So, I mean, there is obviously a Biden faction and there is a um, uh, a deep state kind of faction. And there's you a think there's a Biden faction? faction. I don't think there's a Biden faction. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because the people who control Biden are the Biden faction. Right. I mean, he's the okay, I, himself. So right. that's fair. Um, yeah, because he's so totally controlled. That sounds like a disease. Biden faction. Yes. Anyway. I wish there were. I wish Fauci would get on that. <laughs> need, know, get a, need a vaccine. Yeah. For that. And maybe they want to get rid of him if they want to get rid of him because they're afraid Kennedy could beat him. Is well, that they're, they're never going to let Kennedy beat him in a in, in a in a primary. Just the same with. I, mean, I don't think they will either. But same with Bernie. They're not going to let him win. They're not going to win. They'll pull any stunt that they need to to prevent that if they think there's a threat. That's probably true, but well, what are they going to do if if Iowa and New Hampshire don't follow the DNC orders and they hold their primaries early and Kennedy wins both of them and Biden doesn't compete? Are they just going to keep ignoring Kennedy? I mean, I think that's definitely the plan. That would be fun. I'm not sure that that's going to work, but I think that's what people expect to happen, isn't it? Um, doesn't look like New Hampshire is going to give in it as of the moment. I don't think. That's. I, I think that the states are going to cave. You think they will in the end? Yeah, because I think that, you know, money talks. They'll be deprived of money, one way or the other. You know, something very interesting happened in New Hampshire. I kind of wish Alu was here to explain it a little better, but. So there were two arrests in New Hampshire in the last two years that were kind of a big deal, at least up there. One was the, um, they call themselves the something six, New Hampshire six or some keen six that were arrested. What? I think it was the crypto six. Right, right. Thank you. And that had to do with money laundering and everything else. And that was federal. But then a few months later, this lady, Therese, who we know quite well, was arrested at a town hall type meeting with Sununu, um, and it was kind of an anti-lockdown, anti-vax meeting, and they had Sununu on camera sort of signaling to the state troopers who dragged people out and arrested a whole bunch of people for disturbing the peace. Anyway, her trial was scheduled earlier this week, and last week she apparently tried to subpoena Sununu, saying she can't defend herself, she can't bring up the fact that he ordered the arrest illegally, blah, blah, blah. And literally the same day as the quote trial, they dropped all charges. Wow. And that is really, really interesting. That's hard to get a perfect story. Um, everybody's talking about it. It seems like they didn't want to go there. But, you know, the nerve of keeping her in that place for a year and then dropping them totally finished. It's over with. So I, I don't know what that's going to mean, but it does seem like Sununu et al. back down. So. Well, we discussed on this show during Trump's second impeachment that he was a coward for not insisting on calling Pelosi as a witness and McConnell, for that matter. And right. there was rumors that he was going to do it, but he should have done it. And if he were really going to fight the deep state, that's what he would have done. I mean, this is all it just drives me crazy. I mean, Trump knows what we want to hear and he just tells us what we want to hear. But when 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 the rubber meets the road and he could actually do the things he's talking about, he doesn't do them. 
doesn't do them. It's like, it's like building the wall. Great idea. Didn't do it. Didn't fight for it. I didn't listen to DeSantis's big border speech. All I know is it seemingly was a good speech. And Trump is out there saying, see, he's just going to do what I did. Except for Trump talked more than did, if I'm not mistaken. So, but Trump kind of has it both ways. Well, I did that, but maybe you didn't do that. So, now you saw the uh, police union in Florida is backing DeSantis, which is interesting because at the same time, the polls are now, I think, 4 billion percent against him. So he, he's so low in the polls, they don't even have numbers invented by even the Muslims to describe how low he is in the polls, which I'm not sure if anybody understands why. Well, not all, but some of the polls are skewed. I've looked at some polls. Some of them do show Trump doing very well, but there are others that oversample Democrats over, or, or only take uh, uh, registered voters instead of likely voters. Um, if you look at the methodology behind the polls, some of them are are uh, misleading, or le some of the methodologies used lead to misleading poll yeah. results. Those, results. Those are primary polls, right? You're talking about, yeah. And of course, those are state by state. So, what's the point of having a national poll? It doesn't matter. Well, I'm talking about having looked at some of the state polls. Are I mean, you looked I at some looked of the state at, ones? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I looked at, uh, I, I was looking on Real Clear Politics. They had some South Carolina polls. Yeah. Uh, I think they had three polls recently. Uh, two of them I saw problems with. I don't remember the, the, the particulars right now, but yeah. uh, one of them, I mean, Trump is very strong in South Carolina. So it doesn't surprise me that there was a legitimate poll there, but you know, there was another one, you know, one of the polls, it had all these things like, you know, what's your position on gay marriage? And gay marriage had like, I don't know, 70% support mm -hmm. in South Carolina. That doesn't make sense to me. Tran transgender, same thing. It was well, it was over 50%. That, that just doesn't, even if I can't point to the methodology being wrong, I know enough people from South Carolina that tells me that doesn't sound right to right. me. It doesn't smell My right, yet they keep coming out with these polls. My issue with polls is that I think um, all polls are push polls. All polls are, are made so that, um, you know, they can so be sold to an organization for, um, for some sort of political or advertising purpose. Not that the candidates might have internal polls that try to be more accurate, yeah. but, you know, all, all of these polls suffer from sample bias, right? And that's the, that's the point. Uh, you know, if they call you on the telephone, yeah. obviously that's one thing. If they do it on the internet, that can be um, easily scammed. So it's very, very difficult to get a good sample in the polls. Mm -hmm. And and I don't think they actually care one way or another. I think what they do is they have, they know where the bread is buttered and they try to do it. And so I think it's- um, It's a business in one I, word. I, I think, I I think it's, it, you know, Polls only get accurate like in the last week before an election because they that's when they're judged, right? All these polling firms are like, how accurate were you? Well, you don't <laughs> have to be accurate a year out you or six months in the case of the primaries. You you um you can do whatever you want, but you know, they Nobody it remembers better. It gets better in the last week or so because they have to, you know, everybody remembers, oh, the polls are tightening. Well, are they? <laughs> are they really tightening or is it just because you have to uh, tell the you truth. Have to, 
you know, tell tell more of you know, use better sample and let's tell more of the tell truth. the truth. And I think a real clear politics um, fails. I mean, I understand what it tries to do, but it fails in the sense that, yeah. you know, if you average a bunch of garbage polls, you're going to get garbage. And I think they're trying to say, well, you know, a lot of these polls might be leaning one way and another leaning other way. But I don't think that's necessarily yeah. true. I, I tend to think uh, like most things, they lean, uh, you know, they all lean one way. I mean, all, so. all these all these politicians who have their own internal polls and, you know, listen, I, I hearken back to you know, the last election with Trump and even listening to Rush Limbaugh at the time. And, and he, he was a tell. You, you knew that Trump was in, in trouble just purely by the way he was speaking, uh, you know, just the tone of it and everything. It was not like 1994 or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it was like enthusiasm. We're going to win. They knew they knew Trump was in trouble. And, and yeah. Rush was pulling all, out all the stops, had him on the radio show for like a whole hour or three hours of one day. So, you know, it's not a scene. Oh, Rush was dying and he still yeah. got out of bed. He got off his death to, <laughs> to try and carry him over the finish line. Um, I'm obviously, I think, a, a DeSantis supporter, but he screwed up again in New Hampshire. And this seems to be his campaign keeps on messing up. Apparently, he scheduled his speech in New Hampshire the same day as the Republican women of New Hampshire had Trump speaking. And the Republican women begged him to reschedule and yeah. he said no. And it's hitting national news as another just amateur mistake. And I really hope it's not true that his campaign people are stupid. Why is that a mistake? Why does he have to, Kate, why, why does he have to defer to Trump? No, not defer to Trump, defer to the Republican women who apparently do most of the Republican work, who will have a big say on whether he wins or loses in New Hampshire. Not defer to Trump. If it were just Trump speaking. But ultimately, Trump they're asking, they were asking him to defer to Trump. Trump no, is no, no, no. They're asking him to speak to them. And he can't because they have a prior engagement. So I don't think it's deferring to Trump. I mm. think it's we're And by the way, again, I never ran a campaign. But I would hope campaigns don't schedule things like that. If I know that all of my constituency is going to the Mets game, why would I schedule a speech that day? So I just hope it's not a bunch of amateurs. I do think, you know, we, we talk a lot on the show about policies and we talked about, you know, policies and legal issues and whatnot. But, I, I you know, 90 percent of the voters uh, don't vote on policies. They vote on charisma, emotion you know, mm -hmm. what they're told like, like by other people, like ability and whatnot. And, um, you know, DeSantis has, in a lot of ways, the same problems as um, Ted Cruz does. It did uh, in the previous, uh, in the tw tw 2016 primary season. Uh, and I was a Cruz supporter, and I know uh, Ed was also. Um, but he just didn't have that that charisma to connect with voters. And I, I, I think that... Um, you know, in Florida, DeSantis has done really well, um, but I think he's 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 sort of missing the mark nationally right now as far as sort of getting out in front of um, voters and, and trying to, uh, you know, really connect with them in, on an emotional level, which is, I, I guess, where most people vote. Whereas Trump sort of connected with people, you know, for years before, uh, before the, 
2016 campaign season. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I think he, he still connects to them. Which I don't I, understand I, because to me, he's off-putting. <laughs> And he well, was, but I, I actually I agree 100 percent with with Ed, what Ed's saying. And I, I, I think that the reason is that the way that DeSantis can connect with people and show that he that he relates to their concerns is to attack Trump on the things that Trump failed at. And he seems unwilling to do that. I, that's really the issue to me. And I know that I'm I, I you know, I want him to attack you know, I'm a DeSantis guy. I want him to attack Trump on that. I mean, and I want him to do that to attack Trump, even if Trump wins, because Trump needs to defend himself. He needs to, we all think he's such a fighter, but he's not. And he's, he's a bully and yeah. he's trying to bully people out of the primary. And DeSantis is talking all this flowery talk about freedom and building a better country and building, you know, build, you know, having better policies and having grownups in charge and, and, that doesn't connect the way I will never let Fauci put a needle in your arm would connect. It doesn't connect the way, um, you know, I mean, Trump talks about, you know, w- w- you know, the people coming from Mexico and taking your jobs and dropping fentanyl in your, in your kids' schoolyards. And he's, those are things that he's, that's how he's connecting because he's, he's talking about things that, that real people deal with. Now, real people deal with, larger high more abstract issues like freedom and, and and restoring u.s power and all the rest but yeah i just think that the things if desantis wants to connect with the things that are worrying people he just has to face the fact that he's going to have to take a stand on the things that trump failed at and he, he just doesn't seem willing to do that yet interesting i want to go back to hunter a second so it's funny, yesterday, I think it was the New York Post had an editorial about the judge shouldn't accept the plea deal. But I see that today Dershowitz is saying the same thing. Um, Ed is our legal expert. What are the chances of a judge giving a hoot and actually doing, you know what, I'm not accepting this just like that. I want to look into it more. Um, in an ordinary case, I'd say they're low. If it were Trump, I would say it would be they would definitely <laughs> yes. do it. If it's Hunter Biden or some other prominent Democrat, they will rubber stamp whatever needs to be rubber stamped. So it's unlikely that any pressure from anywhere else would in any way move this. It's more of a pipe dream, huh? I mean, it depends on I think it's a pipe dream. I think even if you had a groundswell of opinion, public opinion, I don't think it would matter. but. Um, that would be the only way it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. If, if the judge were scared that, you know, I mean, he, you know, the judge judges saw what happened to Kavanaugh. They don't want that. Which is why they did it to Kavanaugh, obviously. Um, and then, this, you know, supposedly a little more talk about impeaching Garland. Ed M, I'm assuming you're saying that's just talk. I'm saying I don't care. They'll find another one just like him. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's such a waste of time to, to, to go after the, the individuals. They'll, they'll, they'll find somebody even worse if they have to. I mean, if you want to do it symbolically, okay. I well, mean, there's I'm nothing not, else. They, what else can Congress do? They, it's not like- They can cut they funding. Can, no, if you want can, to deal with the problem, cut the funding. The only way they can cut spending is to shut the government down. 
So that's all they can do. They can't find anything. And the chances of, the, of all that, of them getting to do that are slim. All the arguments you're going to make in support of impeachment should, are the arguments you make to cut to shut the government down and cut funding. And the reality is the Democrats control the Senate anyway. So impeachment's never going to work anyhow. It's not going to work any better than than you know trying to defund. But at least with defunding, you could actually do something and get your arguments out there. And you could say, okay, well, you want you you want to insist on running the Department of Justice this way? We will not fund it. And explain to the people why you're not going to fund it. We're not going to allow the politicization of the Justice Department. We're not going to allow. Go through your list of reasons, all the things that you that we, you would say warrant impeachment. That should be your daily press conference on why the government isn't going to reopen today, because we're not going to fund these things. Yeah, and clearly there's probably not more than five Republicans who care. Well, that's it's, a separate problem. <laughs> and and they're, you know, having their cat fight, you know, the Bobert Green fight, which is amazing. If we have five people in Congress who are saying or doing anything, they're going to kill each other off. So. I mean, I, I'd like to say I'm disappointed in Marjorie because she kind of sold her soul to, uh, to Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy to get her get her back on the committees. I mean, that's kind of obvious, right? I mean, that's everybody really understands that that happened uh, in this Congress. I think. Uh, MTG was very good in the last Congress because not being on committees um, mm -hmm. allowed her to focus on trying to gum up the works in the Democratic uh, House of Representatives by objecting, just sitting there and objecting to um, unanimous consent. Um, I, I, I think that the problem, of course, is that she wasn't able to bring home the bacon. And uh, as that's why Congress is evil because it's all about bringing home the bacon and she wasn't able to do that. And, you know, barbecue is, is a uh, big in uh, Northwest Georgia. So Listen, I think because she, um, Congress people can't accomplish anything unless they give in. And that's why the whole system doesn't work. That's right. Now, Laurie Boebert, um, I think is in a somewhat different position because I think she was not, she did not sell her soul to Kevin McCarthy, but she hadn't, done anything so objectionable that the media um, demanded her removal uh, from committees like they did with MTG. And so she was able to like be on the committee. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think, you know, Laurie Boebert is not my, you know, my view of the ideal politician, but she's certainly better than uh, uh, most of the Republicans, that's for sure. I mean, I, I was talking to a friend the other day and I, see if you guys agree with me on this. I don't think there's any future for the Republican Party. I think it's it's uh, you know mostly going to be. It's never going to win another national election. It's it's never going to really have any effectiveness. You know, even when it's nominally in charge of the Congress, it might be time to use the Democrats' uh, vote uh, stealing uh, against them inside the Democratic Party. To try, I mean, I, again, we're not going to get a libertarian candidate. We're not going to get a, uh, a even a conservative candidate. But we, you know, potentially we could get less worse uh, Democratic candidates if if the right focused its attention on really some of the. Um, and we're not going to get like H Hispanics and Asians to 
to vote Republican. That, that's just not going to happen. But we might get them to um, vote away some of the crazy race baiters and um, and this crazy gender ideologues, which, it, but only in the Democratic Party. So it might, and and we can use the system that Democrats have put in place to steal elections, to uh, assist Asian and Hispanics to really take to take some power in, uh, you know, like in Los Angeles. Um, away from the compliance Democrats. I mean, that may be a way to sort of stop the crazy train or the train to crazy town, as I call it. Um, I had a friend about, got to be about eight, nine years ago already, who's a strong conservative in New York who ran, I think, for state assembly as a Democrat because of that reason, because running as a Republican is a total waste of time, energy, and money. And, you know, call yourself a Democrat and you have a prayer. Will that ever work nationally? I have no idea, but yeah, I don't, I don't I know what the Democrat party are. has more problems than you think for, for the reasons that you're suggesting that strategy. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a shit show. I'm not telling you anything different, but um, you know, there are large constituencies in the democratic party who absolutely hate the race baiting and the, um, and the uh, and and the and the gender nonsense, yeah. um, very large, and but they're they're still essentially ethnic identity groups and based on and vote based on their ethnic identity rather than issues. So you can't get them to vote Republican because they're the Republicans aren't the ethnic identity group. Republicans are the you know allegedly conservative small government, you know. Um, but you might get them to be able to put them put less crazy people in in local office in the Democratic Party, and, you know, in Los Angeles, maybe even in San Francisco, um, especially the Asians, which are uh, a much a very growing minority and are obviously being discriminated against all across the United States in favor of, of blacks primarily. Um, you know, the, the Asian culture is family oriented. It's it's very education oriented, it's very uh, success oriented. And um, the black culture is, you know, rather not. And I think they, um, you know, putting them together in the same bucket of non-whites, which is that's the Democrat, you know, non-straight white married people, that's the Democrat coalition. Um, you know, I think there's, there's possibility for, uh, you know. Well, I was gonna save this crazy. for, I was going to save this for our, our, you know, stories that were missed because it's not a story in the news yet. But sometime in the next uh, 24 to 48 hours, the Supreme Court is going to issue a decision on affirmative action. And I think that's going to blow the lid off of a lot of things, no matter how they rule. Um, if they uphold a per- affirmative action, I think that the, the people that are being punished by it are going to are going to revolt. I really do. Um, I think that the the compromise decisions that came out in 2003 uh, said that this is going to come to an end. And I think that everybody believes it's going to come to an end, except for the race baiters that you're talking about. Um, I think that if they if they decide if they uphold affirmative action, I don't I think I don't think there's enough support for affirmative action anymore to 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 maintain it. Uh, especially with what's going on the way, you know, as you were just describing, I think the race baiting 
is is over the top right now. And I think that that if they come out and, and uphold a front of action, it's gonna it's gonna set people off on the on the other side. But if they if they rule the way I expect, and I expect that they're gonna strike down affirmative action, I think the race baiters are gonna go ballistic. And I think that that might be the the fuse that blows the Democratic Party apart um, for the reasons that you just described. Uh, I, I think that there are people that realize how stupid and how crazy uh, this this anti-success movement is. Um, and I, I just think that that's something that's coming. You know, we're recording this on Wednesday evening. The court's going to decide, issue its opinions either on Thursday or Friday. By Friday, June 30th, the term is going to end. So uh, that's something to watch for. Um, I think that that's going to be a, a gigantic issue. Um, With all of the, the betrayals we've gotten from the Trump appointees uh, lately, um, I, I'm very pessimistic that they're going to rule affirmative action illegal. I, I'm Honestly, I, I just know, don't see it happening. I, I almost get the feeling at times that they huddle up and they're like, we're going to give him that one, but we're not going to give him that one. That, that That's kind of the way I feel about it this way. It's, it has, nothing to, it has like, nothing to do with the law, the Constitution. I thought that for years. Mike, we're we're going to pander. We're going to act like we're independent. And da, da, da. You're going to get all six. You're going to get it's gonna be six, three. You're going to get no. you get convoluted rulings. So that's, I, that's my prediction. I think you're going to get six votes to strike down affirmative action. All right, I'm going to go with five four <laughs> to uphold because well, we'll know next week, bro. So uh, Ed is, it, is six is the, three uh, to overturn it. I'm five four to uh, retain it. What do you think, Mike? I'll go five four that they strike it down. <laughs> All right, and you, Stephen? I, I want to be in the middle. If I had an opinion, this Roberts is a pool. will find a way <laughs> to thread the needle and save it at some. Level some form, some yeah, some sort of you convoluted. Need two of them, John Steven. Roberts, you need two. Well, call, call it call it a tax, and you know whatever. He'll yeah, but he can bend one arm. He's Isn't is the is the freedom of speech case up to? Are we expecting a ruling on that? I forget what's still out there. I don't um, remember. Right, and of course, it had, the, 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 had to do with the social media stuff. I believe big decisions are always released right before the big holiday weekend, so that either way they can be uh, shoved under the carpet. You're giving me a good segue. I just want to go through these headlines about what I'll call the culture wars. California Democrats walk out as Richard Grinnell honored by Republicans for Pride Month. If that's not showing up, their hypocrisy, they don't give a hoot about case. It is so ridiculous. Uh, Texas College fires biology professor for teaching students that sex mm. is determined by chromosomes. Um, Texas, of course, how wonderful that is, how sickeningly 1984 we've gotten. Um, a grocery store chain in California prompting you when you pay your bill on that little machine to donate to DEI awareness. How cool mm. is that? Lovely. How, how subtle is that? And then the other headline, BlackRock CEO admits DeSantis hurt them after they're yeah. wasting billions. To me, that's a really interesting story. If it's true that it really had impact, yeah. then I think, I mean, I think it's a big win for DeSantis. No, I mean, yes, I, it's a big win for the people of Florida and I'm, I'm and, and to a certain extent for people around the world, uh, BlackRock being kind of the fountainhead of, of some of this uh, DEI uh, evil. 
Um, but like, how do you explain that to normies, right? I mean, you know, I, I was saying earlier, DeSantis is the is got the right positions, but he that's why he lacks charisma. He can't. How do you explain it to normies exactly? You know, and, I mean, and, I, and you I, know what? Like, even worse, if he does explain it to normies, Vivek is in a position to say, "I've got my Strive Fund. I'm doing the opposite. Come invest with me." Now, I think about like my mom and my sister who are strong Republicans and and thought Trump was cheated. And, you know, I mean, they're but like if I were to try to explain to them why DeSantis is better than Trump. I would have to get into details. You see, there's this guy, Larry Fink, runs this, you know, firm with head. (laughs) It's like controls 20 trillion dollars and He's investing in DEI and he does all this ESG stuff. Oh, what is ESG? What is DEI? Okay, well, let's, you know, it's like, and then an hour later, you know, my mom's asleep and my sister's, you know, gone uh, to walk her dog. It it just, it's very difficult. I love what he did. I love it um, because it's really effective in this uh, culture war. But I just don't uh, understand how you would explain that to someone who's not like, totally plugged in like we are. <laughs> Which just gets back to the obvious how sad it is that people do not vote over anything important, yeah. like you said before. By, by the way, uh, let me squeeze one little pride note in, I guess, too. I, I, I'm not sure if this is true, but I've seen it in a couple of places. Apparently, the Texas Rangers are the only team in Major League Baseball not to have a pride night. And apparently... Uh, the word was that Jacob deGrom had a clause in his contract that said that they would not have one. That's amazing. Good so, for him. Way to go, Jacob. <laughs> yeah. I would. Uh, if it's true. Wow. It'd be interesting. Yeah. When the whole, now, that he's, you know, now that he's out for a year and a half, maybe they'll have <laughs> one and tell him to opt out of his contract. But what do they do when all the baseball teams say we're not playing in Texas anymore? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is sort of what the NBA did with like playoff games or something from some of the Georgia, you yeah. know, election reform act. Well, they, 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 they moved the all-star. Remember, they moved the all-star game out of, out of Atlanta. I think, yep. you know, in a sense, we are kind of the scales are a little bit teeter-tottering, like we've been saying. They're pushing it so far. There are more articles about pushback from the more conservatives and that, you know, they're starting to lose a little bit on the left, whether it's abortion, whether it's the sex change operations and stuff. And, you know, and Ed, what you're saying about the affirmative action ruling, maybe, maybe there's a tiny tide shifting, but that gets back to the problem of we don't have an opposition party anyway. So even if there were a tide shift, Republicans. There are, well, I tell you, it's really there, odd if, if DeSantis can't connect with people. I mean, he's the guy that's been fighting these woke culture wars and being really effective at it. I mean, how hard is it to continue to just beat that drum? That That's what. Well, we're saying it's like, not him. We're saying people are too dumb to even hear that stuff. They want sound bites. And well, if you're going to sit there and talk words. about BlackRock and DEI, I mean, yeah, it's going to kind of. But, you know, when you start talking about target having shirts on the rack promoting all this so people get that it's not hard so am i hearing that what he's missing is pithy sound bites maybe well, i mean i don't is, know i mean yeah. there's a just a difference between being on the national stage that maybe he's not ready for it 
And He's got a Twitter team. It's what is it called? The DeSantis. Um, let me look and see if I can find it quickly. Um, He's got, he does have some great sound bites and it's, it's on his Twitter feed. Uh, I think it's the DeSantis War Room. Yes. Mm-hmm. You go to DeSantis War Room, they put up a lot of really good videos. That... Well, who's watching DeSantis yeah, War Room? I, mean, I want to look at DeSantis. <laughs> I go and look at DeSantis. I know. I, I already said it during this broadcast. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm, on, I'm on TikTok. Oh, DeSantis War Room? <laughs> he ne- he needs to talk about things that actually matter to people. Yeah, but you, I mean, listen, there's a place for social media. I, you know, there is, but you can't substitute getting getting your face out there. And he stumbled out of the gate. I mean, I don't see any momentum here. You, you know, um, well, he's busy building organizations in Iowa and organizations okay. in New Hampshire. That has to be done too. There's a there's different. I know he's got to walk and chew gum. I'm with you. I. No argument. He should me. be. He should be out there making speeches and whatever. Oh, he's he is. That's the funny. I thing. haven't seen it. Where is he? Maybe. It's, maybe it's because I've turned off Fox News. I don't. Like see I said he was anymore. just in in New Hampshire. He's been in Iowa. I mean, this, this is place. I think he was just in California. I, I mean, this is a little bit of a problem too. To be honest with you, I mean, a lot of people like me have turned off Fox News, and there's no Tucker, and we're giving them the middle finger. There really isn't any other outlet out there that. Oh, but. You know what, Mike? I mean, I, I was get, getting I get, get, multiple, my, get my news from that. Now it's I like get, I get multiple text messages asking for money from DeSantis every day. He needs to start spending some money on getting his message out and not just asking for money. That's I, my opinion on it. Yeah, now, I, mean, I know yeah. it's expensive. I know it costs money to to send text messages, but you know, if you're going to create I mean, the DeSantis War Room and you're going to create these awesome videos, send them yeah. out. I mean, listen, we're in a very we're in a very defragmented society right now. It comes to promoting yourself, no matter what it is. There is all kinds of content and things to entertain and titillate you out there. All right. I mean, you've you've got to find a way as a presidential candidate. I mean, I don't know if I have all the answers for him, um, but I I do. okay, Okay, then you can be his PR guy. Uh, but I, I, I do think that there is a bit of a problem in a sense that, listen, you have Fox News. It's supposed to be the, the right of center news, whatever. You've got MSNBC, CNN, all the all the other ones out there. Nobody really cares about Newsmax and a couple of these other ones. Fox was it. Now you have a lot of people pissed at Fox. People like me, I really haven't watched it. But you know what? I, when I watched it, I, that's where I was getting informed and i knew stuff was going on now i'm fearing that we don't have that hub aren't i correct and it hurts somebody like this either sorry fox is not pro-trump either uh that well they're not pro-trump but i'm just saying in terms of just having the exposure to be on a tucker carlson and have that you know first segment of the night you know desantis was on there quite a bit uh, on a lot of subjects and so I think it it, hurt, it hurts right now what's going on with Fox. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, maybe Trump won because, like you say, Rush, Hannity, and some others had him on free hours every day. So, and yeah. this, this is I mean, that kind of a thing. Right. I mean, this is the first presidential cycle we'll have without Rush, right? 
Um, I assume you know, Tucker, speaking of Tucker anyway. and speaking of my prior point, not only is Tucker posting his videos on, on Twitter, every time he posts a new video, I get a text message from him. Okay. Ah, but you're, you're, you okay, but you're making, up. yeah. Did you sign up for something? Yeah. So why can't okay. DeSantis do the same thing? Okay. But again, you want to get my text? Still, you want to hear my message? Sign up for my as a, as a consumer, if you will, you still proactively have to do that thing. Now, it should be easier for a presidential candidate. Let's if, you, if you're supporting him, you sign up. Yeah, you should be getting text messages. It's, that's not hard to do. It's not hard to do. Well, he could put into his his fundraising texts. Like I said, let me look and see how many I've gotten today. Just today. Get too many, you start to tune them out, though. Well, I mean, I don't. I, I, do. I only ever get one because I block the number immediately. Yeah. Uh, so um, one is the max I ever get from any only, number. So far, it's only two today. Yeah. Wow, you're a very patient person, Ed, to put up with so, text messages like that. Listen, I, I think there's some work that needs to be done there, obviously, with this campaign. Um. By the way, I'm we're getting a late, and I think one of the big stories of the week. I really wanted to hear from you, Ed P, because. Uh, I'm really curious about your perspective on um, what's going on in Russia with Putin. Uh, I think he was hightailing it out of Moscow, the last I heard. Uh, I'm really curious as to what your thoughts are on that, man. Um, well, I mean, I think I, I said this uh, maybe in the chat, but I have no idea what went on uh, beyond the bare facts. It looks like uh, Wagner uh, pulled out of the line and, and took over Rostov and then sort of marched on Moscow and Putin gave a talk saying, you know, put down the rebellion. And then all of a sudden, allegedly a deal was brokered and uh, Wagner, Wagner really uh, went home. Um, some of the Wagner units are being integrated into the Russian military. Some are being sent overseas uh, to do what they were originally designed to do, uh, mercenary work overseas. The... Um, the whole thing was just weird. I, I, you know, again, if if Ukraine had any oomph left, you know, if you pull twenty five thousand people off the line, um, there should be a hole in the line. And uh, if Ukraine had any, you know, tactical flexibility, they would have pushed through that hole immediately. Um, certainly, George Patton would have done that. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know whether they have any oomph left. And if they don't have any oomph left, then the war is essentially over. Um, and, you know, they're going to have to, you know, make some sort of peace. Um, I, I do think Putin is somewhat weakened. You can't do this. Uh, and I, I think trying to integrate the, the Wagner forces into the Russian military is probably going to be difficult because as mercenaries, they're paid a lot more than conscripts and uh, volunteers in the Russian military. And so they would be taking a pay cut. And the whole point of joining a mercenary unit, besides the ones who are released from prison, is to uh, make money to send home. So, uh, you know, I, I do think the Russian army is in a bit of a chaos right now, but I, I think the Ukrainian army, uh, you know, it's been a week and they haven't done anything. So, um, I mean, Patton might take more MacArthur or Rommel or any of the decent generals of World War II that we know about would have been on top of that in a heartbeat, you know, and nope, nothing happened. My take is a little bit different with the exception of your analysis of the Ukrainian army. Um, I do agree with you that they are completely spent. 
Um, I think that the fact that they have not counterattacked shows that they have no capacity to win this war. Uh, but the rest of your analysis, I, I have a different take on it. Um, okay. My take is I think this was coordinated between Wagner and Putin from the beginning. And I think uh -oh. purpose, where's I think, my tinfoil hat? I think the purpose was to smoke out uh. who supports Putin and who doesn't. And I think that the purpose was also to uh, generate support for a greater uh, offensive in Ukraine. I think the Wagner people want to fight. And I think that they were dissatisfied somewhat with uh, Putin's restraint. I think Putin is ready to unleash. And I think that the purpose of this whole episode was to smoke out all the traitors in the general corps and the officer corps and get rid of them, whether today or, or in the near future. And I expect uh, the Russian military to take advantage of what we what you described as the Ukrainian military. And I'm expecting a very big counteroffensive later this summer. Ed, you, just, you just heard me really bad in the pocket. I'm sorry? Right before the show, I invested a lot of money in a life insurance policy on the head of the Wagner Group because I figured his chances of being alive tomorrow were one in a billion. And now you just pulled all that away from me. Sorry. Well, That's when, when I needed it. you, and, and they won't be open until tomorrow morning to get my money back. You could always commit suicide. Hey, yeah. That's a really interesting take. I know there were some other conspiracy-like takes about that in the news. Some saying U.S. intelligence was behind it. It does seem weird. I mean, if if Putin doesn't like massacre all of them, then there's something was fixed here. That's how I look at mm -hmm. it. It was one story that he did threaten to kill all of the relatives of the Wagner group. And that's why they, they back down. But I, yeah, the old Putin would have been sending that's, a lot of ears and fingers to people. That's so. how the mafia I, I don't think either the Russians or the Ukrainians have much uh, oomph left, um, which is one of the reasons why I think they probably could have gone all the way to the outskirts of Moscow before they ran into anybody who was willing to fight. The Putin's Praetorian Guard are the Katerovites, Kater the uh, Chechens. He has a Praetorian Guard of Chechens. It's uh, kind of like the ranging guard of the uh, of the old um, Byzantine Empire. Anyway, uh, generally speaking, you know, in places like that, and even to a certain extent in the United States, although you know not so much here, um, people don't like to fight their own co-ethnics. So if you're going to stay in power, and you think the Russians Russian Russians are, are a threat, you bring in the Chechens to be, and you pay them well, and they're, you know, they're the way to keep, or I, I don't think there's anybody between Rostov and Moscow to stop a well, you know, a disciplined army. And it's one of the, you know, things I was arguing with a friend is like, I thought the United States um, military, if they were in Ukraine, they could probably capture Crimea in a couple of weeks. And I, I still think that's true. Because very, you know, for all the problems we've been hearing, it's still a very disciplined army. Um, I, I think Putin is, is kind of in a, in real trouble. Um, he's defeated this uh, this uprising, but he's really shown that um, he's weak. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I think uh, the warmongers in the U.S. State Department are going to try and keep the war going on. I even Zelensky. And the oligarchs who back him are are ready to call it a day and try and come see what kind of peace they can come to.
Um, I think uh, Putin probably is in the peace mode as well, because again, he might've defeated this one, but um, it really showed a weakness on his part. I, I, again, if you take the entire Russian military, and you put it in Ukraine, which is what he did, and then you go out, out and draft a bunch of people and put it in Ukraine, Russia, the Russian Federation is not a real country. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's dozens of little ethnic enclaves and little countries held together as an empire. Well, as soon as the empire doesn't have any teeth because all their teeth are in Ukraine, what's to stop the local warlord from deciding yeah, we not to pay attention to Moscow anymore? But, but Ed, um, and, why and hasn't that happened? It's going to occur to someone. But, what's but that? Ed, why hasn't that happened? I think the answer to the reason to that question is the people support the war in Ukraine. They support Putin. I don't. I don't I think, think he's as unpopular as as he's being made out to be. I think. Uh, well, I, it depends on who the people is. I think to a certain extent, um, the Russian people, Russia, Russian Russians, um, support the war as they get older. Uh, the young people don't. The old people do. They lost a few hundred thousand Russian Russians that, who are highly educated in tech. You know, had sort of international jobs. They all went to Central Asia. They're all trying to come to the United States. Um, when this, uh, you know, mass mobilization, the draft was reinstated, um, and these are all like engineers, of, you know, engineers, scientists, programmers, you know, in their prime, you know, twenty-five to forty-five. Um, so, uh, you know, again, the Putin. You know, how does somebody, you know, like the emperor of Byzantium, how, how does he lose to the Muslims, right? I mean, how, how does that happen? Well, he, he just didn't quite have enough money and he didn't quite have enough people and he didn't, you know, and I think the Russians are kind of in that way. And I think Ukrainians are in that way. And I, I think, uh, you know, I think this is going to be a, a heralding of some sort of peace talks, um, independent of uh, the U.S. State Department, which are a bunch of war markers and want this uh, war to go on forever. That's the whole thing. The U.S. And, and NATO don't want peace talks and the U.S. Mm -hmm. and NATO are funding Ukraine. As you as you correctly noted, Ukraine has no ability to fight this war. So the fact that it's continuing shows that it's the Americans and, and NATO to a lesser extent that is funding it. And I think that I think Putin understands that now. Putin has wanted peace for, for a year and a half. I think that he just he made his point. He there was a reason for the invasion, the provocation of Ukraine being admitted into NATO. Uh, but I don't think that it was ever about world conquest for him. And I think that he's been looking for, for a way to do peace. And I think that he realizes that, okay, there's never going to be peace. So we're going to have to smash them. And I think that's what I think this whole Wagner thing was about. And I think that's what's that that's what's coming. I, I don't see Putin as weak at all. I think Putin is going to be strength. I think he's already strong. And I think he's going to be strengthened if and when the Russians counterattack and, and knock out Ukraine. And and frankly, on the other side, I think that the, the Americans and, and NATO to a lesser extent are, well, maybe not NATO, but I think the Americans are looking for, for a reason to use nuclear weapons. I think that they want to escalate. I think that they want to do whatever they have to to, to justify some sort of crisis um, we haven't talked about the whole central bank digital currency situation uh, in a while, but uh, that's still on the table. It's still they're still moving forward with that. They're going to need some sort of crisis in order to implement it. Um, we have an election coming up. They're going to want to have a crisis in, in advance of that election. 
there's a lot of reasons why the Democrat Party is going to be looking for a crisis. And I think that they I think that they could be fomenting one in Ukraine just as much as they could be fomenting one here in the United States locally and domestically. Mm -hmm. Okay, real quick, since we're running late, any stories we didn't get to? Not really. On a, on a lighter note, I, I found this recent story funny because, um, you know, obviously Pat Sajak is leaving the Wheel of Fortune. And uh, Ryan Seacrest is taking over. Ugh. So, But there's a story about Vanna White and she's hired some high-powered attorney. She's basically claiming that she's been discriminated against and hasn't gotten a raise in 18 years. And I, I, just, I just think it's just hysterical because this woman literally has the easiest job in the history of humanity and when you think about the money she makes apparently she makes three million dollars a year now if she thinks she should have been making more i mean she had a bad agent that would be claiming discrimination they could have gotten rid of her i mean literally i i have always joked about this like you could make up her resume it would be like 1981 tonight like 1997 vanna white letter turner and then it became 1998, the present. Letter toucher. <laughs> you know I mean? Letter pointer. I mean, they could have gotten rid of her. They don't need her. The whole board is electronic. And Everybody like, likes Vanna. Listen, though. the I, audience I, does like Vanna. I, I don't know, man. It's just like, I think it's just, it, it's hysterical. I mean, she's making $3 million a year to show up in a nice gown and appear on TV and, and walk across the stage and go ding, ding, ding. Mike, are you I think we would all do job? that job. I think we would all do that job for $1 million. I listen, to be honest. I, I'd probably do it for less than that. But it's just like, uh, um, it's just, it's hysterical in a way. Are I you mean, identifying as Vanna White? Uh, I, you know what? For $3 I million, could, I will. Yeah, for $3 million, <laughs> I'll wear whatever they put on. Listen, me. I think anybody, listen, we're free market guys. You you should be able to make as much as you want. But I just I'm think- I'm a man. I'm there. not identifying just, as Vanna White there. for any amount of money. And, to, and remember, the job, discrimination. the oh, job on. is one day of work every two weeks. They shoot 10 episodes at a time. <laughs> one day of work every two weeks. I'll tell you. $3 I mean, million dollars a year. Sign me up for that. Yeah. This is where I find it funny. I think if you watch like some of these game shows, the, the host or the guest, like the host might be in like the same outfit and then the guests change or whatever. It's like. Wait a second. Oh, <laughs> if you really watch a pickup on it, it's like, wait a second. But anyway, I just thought that was rather funny. I think you're not supposed to really look. So, right. Anything else, folks? Quick. Well, quick I mean, look. you mentioned briefly the biology professor who, uh, uh, who was fired for saying a number of things. But the last, the last straw was that the sex was determined by X and Y chromosomes, and that just pissed. The, uh, the youngsters off who, of course, go to college to educate professors rather than be educated from professors. Uh, and he is uh, suing um, because it was a state college and thus his First Amendment uh, rights were violated. He is going to win. Um, uh, what he wins, we don't know. But there is no chance of him losing uh, on this case. So it'll be interesting to see what actually happens. You can't even be a biologist and say sex is determined by X and Y chromosomes anymore. That is the state of America today. Never underestimate what a judge can do, Ed. Mm -hmm. Never underestimate it. Yeah. I've got one story. Um, 
CNN was running uh, stories of the leaked Trump tapes about Trump talking about the class allegedly classified documents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on the, on the most recent episodes of this show, we've talked about the gag order that's on Trump and that the Justice Department has asked for on Trump. And I noticed that they did not go and look, try and find the leaker of those of those documents or of those tapes. Right. I mean, yeah, and that would obviously work. the reason they didn't go looking for the leaker is because the leaker is almost certainly in the in the Justice Department itself. Um, it's election interference. It's uh, it's a violation of Trump's rights. It's a violation of all of our rights to have fair and free elections. They're silencing Trump. It's a sham. Uh, they have no problem with CNN running with those leaked tapes and running them over and over and over again. There's there's no attempt by the Justice Department to get them to get a court order to silence them, that they're prejudicing the jury pool. All the arguments that they've made that Trump can't prove his innocence and, and dis- distribute evidence, uh, they're, they're totally fine gagging Trump, but they won't even ma- lift a finger to try and gag CNN. Not that I want CNN gag necessarily, but oh no shows it just shows what they want gag a ball ball gag for all maybe that was what joe was wearing a ball gag and that's what made the indentation maybe they need to be put in the next submersible and gone down to the bottom (laughs) of the titanic with the rich white people or or uh, you know all of cnn uh can be drafted into the new ukrainian army and sent to fight the russians i think that would be a great plan what about that was my story that we didn't okay have. we're going to wrap up for this evening we will be back next week day after july 4th to discuss all the uh latest scotus decisions etc cetera, etc cetera. wish everybody a happy independence day whatever that means nowadays so have a wonderful week folks